This episode of the Cinema Vention Podcast is brought to you by Rotting Wonk, RozJ001, Jack Wolf, and Wearmall 3. If you want to become one of the names listed, go support the show today at patreon.com slash wscottis1. Hi, I'm W. Scott is one, and I have not seen the movie Fight Club. Increasing his cultural IQ, one movie at a time. This is Cinemavention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie Fight Club, which my guest has seen before. He is the host of the Ritual Misery podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Kent Fallor. It's good to have you back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back, dude. It's always a good time. Absolutely. And unfortunately, uh, we were supposed to have Alex Hanna on the show. He could not make it to the show, unfortunately. But I did tell him if he wanted to add anything to the conversation to send in an email, and I will definitely read it uh, if he does send one in. So uh, we'll have Alex back on another time, of course. But it's great to have you, Kent. It's good to have great, good to have everyone here that's listening. And we're about to discuss the movie Fight Club. So here we go. Fight Club is available for rent or purchase on all major internet distributors and is available to stream on Hulu or IMDb TV if you can deal with the ads. Uh, Fight Club was released by 20th Century Fox on October 15, 1999. The movie was directed by David Fincher and stars Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Helena Bonham Carter, and Meatloaf, actually, which is Kind of an interesting uh, casting decision. The movie had a budget of 63 to $65 million and made $101.2 million in theaters. Kent, do you remember the first time that you saw Fight Club? Not specifically, but uh, I definitely didn't see it in theaters. It was home video of some sort, probably DVD rental. Uh, I would have been in Okinawa when that when that movie came out. Um, so yeah, I probably went to the shop at on the base there and, and rented the DVD. Mm. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if, uh, because of course that was in like the early two thousands. I wonder, I mean, I guess if you have the internet, it makes that a whole lot more easier now because although even like, even like Netflix and like all the streaming services are, have different films available in different countries. So yeah, it's a little weird. So uh, yeah, well, so so on a military base, you get American stuff, right? So mm-hmm. if the if, if the movie was released, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but like if the movie came out on DVD in November of '99, for example, we would have had it, like we would have had it on the base in November of '99. So whatever the American release date is, we also get things overseas. Gotcha. Okay, now that's good. Um, and of course, yeah, the internet makes that a whole lot easier too, uh, with streaming and oh, everything. Yeah. So yeah, that that was totally not an option back in, in 1999. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and actually it's funny enough there, uh, I'm going to talk about like some of the nineties references cause there's, the movie has not, has surprisingly not aged too bad, honestly. Like it actually still mm-hmm. works pretty well. Um, there's only like one particular scene that is so 90s, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, speaking of discussing the movie, though, let's talk about it because I I like to I like to call this because ironically, right? 
we're about to break rule number one and rule number two by discussing this movie. If you think about it, right? Like, absolutely. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So we're we're breaking the rules of Fight Club. But hey, you know, we're not in Fight Club, so we get to talk about it, I guess. So that exempts us? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. Well, I, th- I think that, th- yeah, we should start there. Let's talk about the rules. What are the rules of Fight Club? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm going to, I'm actually, I, I think it does more justice if I play the clip of, of uh, Tyler talking about the rules of Fight Club. So let's, let's listen. Every week, Tyler gave the rules that he and I decided. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. All right. And that, and those are the rules. Um, it's, it's interesting that their rules are no shirts, no shoes. Like that is a requirement of Fight Club as opposed to most businesses mm-hmm. that a requirement <laughs> is to have shoe shirt and shoes right yeah and i i think that's kind of one of the underlying themes of of the movie really is to go against convention right so Mm -hmm. uh things that you would expect in a normal you know quote normal civilized existence that goes completely out the window with fight club like everything is kind of opposite yeah also the fact that uh the first and second rule are the same rule i guess I guess the reason for that is to really emphasize the fact that you do not talk about Fight Club like that. It's more for emphasis than it is. Yep. Yeah. Anything else, Um, you know, and and it's interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, it it is a Fight Club. It's sort of like an under it's it's basically a club taking place underground at the basement of a local bar in the area. Right. And Mm. but it's not completely unorganized. Right. Like, you know, so you have the option to tap out at any point, right? Like, so you can, you know, I, and, and, and presumably, I mean, you, I, I feel like you might get judged for it, but, but also it's like, if you're like, you know, beat up and bruised and super bloody, it's like, no one's going to like judge you if you tap out, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, by showing up to fight club, like you've already, you know, you've already proven yourself, uh, for the most part, right. Just by being there. So, yeah. Um, and especially, I mean the, the, what is it? The, the eighth rule, I think, is it right. If this is your first night at fight club, you have to fight. Right. So once you get that first fight in, like you're, that's it, man, you're, you're part of the, well, I mean, literally part of the club. So yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think you're going to get judged too harshly about anything after that. Yeah. And also too, like if you get hurt real bad, which let's be honest, most of the time you probably will, right? At least uh, they do have the courtesy to send you to a hospital and come up with an excuse as to why your face is busted up so bad. So it's like, 
You know what I mean? Like for it being like an underground sort of like, you know, risque club, you know, like at, at least it's not completely like, you know, like completely unorganized no, completely without. Yeah. And completely without sympathy and, and, right. and so forth. Yeah. I mean, you know, they do they do want to take care of their own because like even even uh, Edward Norton uh, got sent to the hospital for that. And uh mm-hmm. Of course, he gave the excuse. Uh, I fell down the stairs. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Tyler was the one that gave that excuse to the nurse, and so. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well, it's like it's like he said. It's like Edward Norton's character, the narrator, says. Uh, Sometimes Tyler speaks for me. Right. Right. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, so eventually, there there are a couple more fight clubs that happen. Uh, during this time, right. And and I also love it's like the time fight club starts and the time fight club ends. It's like there's no real start time or end time to it. It's like whenever all the fights happen, they happen, you know, <laughs> yeah. but if, but eventually the bar owner finds out about fight club and attempts to stop it. But of course, you know, Tyler Durden has his way of figuring it out. Um, and he basically keeps it going by challenging the bar owner to participate, basically, which which the bar <laughs> owner eventually decides to do so i think tyler might have thrown the first punch potentially but mm. but he kept it going the bar <laughs> owner kept it going you know so yeah and joined fight club yeah absolutely and by the so. way too like i could totally see this happening because the last job that i worked at like the owner of the restaurant was in there like maybe a day or two like maybe a couple times a week if you were super lucky right like the owner itself himself wasn't there it's like we would have a uh, general manager that would actually run the place you know mm. and and so the bartender i i it, th- we we were l- trying to figure out like how they got permission in the first place and we couldn't really come up with a good answer the, the theory we have basically is the bartender who was working that night probably uh probably didn't care because he's getting paid you know five dollars an hour plus tips so he <laughs> basically yeah. doesn't give a shit about what's going on. It's like, yeah, sure. You can have your little club down there, whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. W- would you join fight club? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> <laughs> I-, I am not a violent person. I don't like physical confrontation. Like I do everything in my power to avoid it. So no, I, yeah. I would not be a participator in fight club. What about you though? Yeah, that no, that's me most of the time. There's there's probably been a couple of times in my life where I would I would definitely have given it serious consideration. Um I you know, I'm also not a violent person. Uh but I do like physical confrontation if it's in an organized way cuz like I used to do karate and uh yeah. we would have every Friday we call it um uh Friday or what do we call it? Uh Friday fight night or something like that. It would, we would do our sparring on Fridays. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. I, like I, I lived, I lived for that. Like we did ring sparring. So it was like, you know, we were all padded up. So it wasn't like fight club. We weren't bloodying each other, but it was kind of the, a similar format where you would show up and like, you would just basically, you would pair up in the ring and just go at it until somebody won. Um, and I enjoyed the hell out of that. Uh, so I, I could see like in an alternate timeline version of me mm-hmm. that might, that might be a thing I would do. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you were a part of the military. If you think about it, I mean, it's, I know it's not exactly the same thing, right? 
but it's like you are <laughs> fighting in the military, presumably, right? So I mean, kind it's kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, kind of. I didn't. Well, I mean, I didn't do a lot of hand to hand combat. Sure, in the, sure. In the military, but um, but yeah, I mean, I can see that. And well, I, and I think there's more military parallels actually with with the what comes after Fight Club, like the evolution of Fight Club mm-hmm. when it becomes. And we'll talk about this later. But when it becomes Project Mayhem, that's more of a military uh style thing mm. um but yeah like fight club is kind of the the precursor to that and it kind of um I, I i think it the violent nature and also just like the secrecy and everything was kind of like the you know laying the groundwork for mm. uh, for the more militarized uh version of the club that's interesting yeah we'll definitely talk about that more uh later on but that that's interesting that you bring that up because uh, i had never even considered that so that that's that's interesting um, what's also interesting is the main character in this movie doesn't really have an official name because that's one thing that I didn't notice until after the movie was over. Like you never really know what the main character's name is really. I mean, of course, you know, he's also, he's, he's basically known as Tyler Durden towards the end, which, you know, we'll talk about why that is in a moment. But Edward Norton's actual character name, like in the movie, is simply called narrator. Like in IMDb, it literally states his character's name is narrator, right? And every and every like summary of the movie says the narrator says and the narrator did all of this. Um, you know, I mean, we he does go under aliases while he's at the different support group meetings. I've found. But other than right, that, right. like, it's never really confirmed. Yeah, but those always changed. Yeah, because yeah. you never see a, a thing like, you know, a a, a document that, that's got his name on it or anything like that. So it's it's you never know what it is. When I first saw the movie, I assumed that his name was Jack because when he's narrating, he he would throw in little little things like I am Jack's wasted life or mm-hmm. I am Jack's colon or, you know, or, or just there's probably like eight or nine of these things throughout the movie where he says something like that. So, and it's never really explained why he's using the name Jack. So I just kind of assumed that, that he was Jack, like his name was Jack. Uh, but no one throughout the movie ever calls him that. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it's like a couple of times it's mentioned like by him himself, but yeah, no, nobody ever calls him that, which is weird. And nobody yep. even like, and like in no scenario is there ever a point where they get asked the name like which is very odd you know because it's like there's so many points where you could easily be like hey like ask him like hey what your name is what is your name and like you know and we would eventually figure it out but no it never gets to that point which is astonishing given all the circumstances that he had to go through you know well, I mean, if it was if this was a documentary and it was real life, that yeah, I agree with you. But this is it was purposely written that way so that there was never a scenario where his name would would have a reason to come up. So sure. the twist, the twist that comes toward the end of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, would be a surprise, you know. So yeah. So uh, similar to Pulp Fiction, uh, this movie starts at the end of the story. Um, where Tyler is basically holding a gun at the narrator's throat, which, by the way, what a way to start a movie. <laughs> like, just you start out with the movie, you have the opening credits, right? And then it immediately just goes to you. He is tied up with a gun to his throat, about to pull the trigger. Like, 
like I when we started this movie, I was like, wow, okay, we're getting thrown right into the story right away here. <laughs> oh yeah. And and if you go back and watch it again, you'll notice like he basically the the narrator basically tell or was it Tyler? I can't remember. Um, one of them basically tells like the entire plot of the movie, like in just a few sentences, right at the beginning of the movie. And oh, of really? course, you have no context. None of it makes any sense until you know he has his flashback. So, so basically, the whole movie's a flashback, right? Um, and yeah, so you have no context. But but after you've seen the movie and then you watch that scene again, it's like, well, that's the whole movie. Like right, <laughs> right in those few sentences that he says at the opening. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to rewatch that opening scene again. Um, now that I've seen the yeah. whole movie, that's well, interesting. Oh, oh yeah, the, I, this this movie has amazing rewatchability because Mm -hmm. the first time through, of course you don't know the twist. And, and when you figure it out at the end, it's like, well, holy shit. So when you watch it again, you will catch so many things of like, Oh, like, like for example, um, Tyler, like when Tyler and the narrator were together, Mm -hmm. people would only speak to one or the other like neither like there was no scene where both of them were acknowledged and it's very it's very obvious when you watch it again after you already know the twist you'll be looking for things like how people react to them interacting together whatever and you never see like other characters seeing both of them at the same time yeah that's crazy no i yeah like little things like that yeah no that's crazy so like in in a way it's it's absolutely similar to pulp fiction in that regard because pulp fiction has those same characteristics in the movie right like where you don't pick up on things initially but in the rewatch you probably consider a lot of things that you didn't consider before right Right. Absolutely. And and one other thing that I uh, that I just thought of as we were doing this too um one of the things that was mentioned after the watch party was over and I noticed this a little bit while I was watching the movie, but I just assumed it was some weird artifacting of the streaming or, or whatever. But there are, there are points in the movie where if you look closely enough, you can actually see like a silhouette of Tyler or like an actual, like, like, like Tyler is basically spliced in it at random points throughout the movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Before before he's actually introduced as a character, probably about twenty or so minutes into the movie. Yeah. Um, he he actually appears in one twenty fourth of a second. <laughs> right. So like a single frame uh, of the movie, like it was like six or seven times or something like that. That that you actually see him without realizing that you see him. Right. No. And when um, I and saw that's him- another. Oh, that's another one of those things like after you've seen the movie and you're and you know that that happens like you will see more of them than you did on on your first viewing right looking for it yeah because when i because when i saw it initially like i i knew i had saw something right i didn't realize that that's what i was seeing <laughs> but i just assumed yeah. it was like oh yeah some random internet buffer in the stream that we were watching but yep. no that was that is that was part of the movie which is crazy to me right like it's just those little tiny things that you don't notice until afterwards, which is crazy. Yeah. And especially because there is that scene where uh, Tyler is the projectionist and he describes how he throws in a, a single frame of, of, of a pornographic movie. Oh, right. Into, like Disney movies and shit. And it's the exact same technique that they did 
in the actual movie that you're watching. That's right. You're right. I yeah, I completely forgot about that scene too. Yeah. 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 So much. So- oh, and speaking of that, speaking of that. So did you notice at the very, very end of the movie, there was a, a one twenty fourth second clip, uh, like a single frame, just like kind of tossed in right at the end. Was it, you catch that? was it of Tyler or was it of something else? Um, well, I don't know if it was Tyler or not, but it was definitely male. I can assure you of that. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I um, didn't, I don't think I saw so that. The, no. Yeah. So, okay. So the joke, the joke was, uh, like I was saying, like Tyler would splice in a single frame of, of porn during like, children's movies right mm-hmm. well they do exactly that at the end of the movie so like right before really? the, the credits roll yep right before the credits roll you see a penis really no yep. way well i mean yep. it is rated r so i mean i guess you know i guess <laughs> yeah. they can get away with that right so <laughs> yep. wow i didn't even know penis. that <laughs> wow like yeah yeah. there's got to be some meaning to those by the way but i just i don't know what the meaning is other than like to show (laughs) that that's the thing like other than to sometimes a penis is just a penis (laughs) fair enough fair enough (laughs) (laughs) uh so the narrator has some issues with insomnia which I can sort of relate to. I don't know if I am diagnosed with insomnia myself. I've never been officially diagnosed with it, but I am definitely a night owl and I have, and I definitely have trouble falling asleep some nights. And like my sleeping is so erratic, like all over the place sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like, so I can definitely relate to the narrator's issues with sleep. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of similar. It, I don't have insomnia per se, but um, I've, I've got a um, oh, what is it called? Um, basically, where my circadian rhythm doesn't operate on a 24 hour uh, period. It's yeah. more like it's more like a it's more like a 30 hour period or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I did, my my body doesn't naturally conform to like normal sleeping times. So yeah, if um. You know, like let's say I let's say I went to work at eight o'clock in the morning, I work, you know, eight or nine hours, come home, whatever. Like I should be, I should be ready for bed like by like ten or eleven o'clock, right? So that I can right. get my eight hours of sleep, get up, do it again the next day. Mm-hmm. I am nowhere like my body, my brain is nowhere near ready for sleep uh, by then. Yeah, um, you know, fast forward like four hours from that, I I might be starting to get tired. Right. And uh, that le- so as I go throughout the work week, I'm getting less and less sleep, basically. So so by the yeah. weekend, I tend to sleep quite a bit uh, because like left to my own devices, I will sleep a normal like eight or nine hours, you know, and and, and get up or whatever. But but mm-hmm. my waking time is extended. Right. So, yeah. So I've had I've had sleep issues literally my entire life. Like I remember being um just a grumpy ass kid. Like when my mom would wake up, wake me up in the morning to go to kindergarten, I wasn't ready to get out of bed because I'd only gotten probably five hours of sleep or something like that. Yeah. Uh, But I slept great on weekends. Go figure. (laughs) Uh, Right. So um, it's, it's something I've dealt with my entire life. So I can totally, I can totally uh, relate to, uh, to the character sleep issues. Right. Yeah, no. And, and, and I'm kind of the same way too, where it's like, 
I, I, and I feel like it's, it's an issue with like my brain has trouble like shutting itself off. Like that's, that's primarily the biggest problem for me is like Mm. my brain can't like when it's time to sleep, it's like my brain like is running at like a million miles per hour, like thinking of everything that I need to do, thinking of things that I haven't, that I didn't get to that day that I need to do the next day. And, um, I mean, I, and I know there's some things that you can do for that. And, and I've tried various things over the years. It just, it just doesn't work for me. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of these times I might try to get, actually get diagnosed with something, but I mean, I just haven't gotten around to doing it yet. So, so it's been kind of difficult, mm-hmm. but, um, but he does, uh, but the narrator goes to a support group for help for this insomnia but it, it turns out the narrator is addicted to going to support groups. And to be honest, like, I can't really blame him, right? Like, because support groups, like, are kind of like, they are like, you know, group meetings that are planned. Like, you can, like, you have some place that you can go to and, like, sort of feel like, like you're a part of something, right? So it's like, for mm-hmm. him, it's like, it, it probably is the only involvement that he gets that he's associated with throughout the week. Right. So I can't really necessarily blame him for being addicted yeah. to that thing. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think a, a lot of what was going on there, because I, I, one of the themes that's going on is the narrator is stuck in this, this loop of meaninglessness. Right. So right. Like, he's got a boring ass job that doesn't like, th- doesn't provide any greater meaning to his life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's constantly traveling and then his insomnia makes him like feel like he's sleepwalking half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like his, even his personal life is like out of a catalog, right? Like he even makes that analogy uh, where like he doesn't feel like he's a like realized person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is, I think that he doesn't have like an emotional outlet. He doesn't have, uh, he doesn't give, well, I was going to say he doesn't give himself, but regardless, he, he doesn't get uh, the opportunity, whether it's his fault or, or society's or whatever. He doesn't right. get the opportunity to express himself or or to feel the range of emotions. Yeah. And when when he goes to these support groups, he actually feels real feelings and he's able to cry. Uh, you know, he's he, he, he's able to actually feel. Right. And that, I think is what he's actually addicted to is that, that feeling of being alive, of being real, of being human. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, and one of these support groups, he, uh, he meets this guy named Robert Bob Paulson at his, <laughs> at this cancer support group. And, and, uh, and what, what does, what does the narrator describe Bob as having? Bob has bitch tits. <laughs> That was so funny to me too, because it's like it, it, bitch tits. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> One of the like, I don't remember my first viewing of the movie like in great detail, but I do know that was a standout thing for me. I remembered that line, uh, like Im- immediately. Like that was a that was the line that I that I ended up saying, um, like to my spouse at the time. I would because I. I you know, I'm a big movie nerd. I like quoting movies. Mm-hmm. That was like my go-to line when I would talk about this movie. Yeah. So Bob it's like, has bitched. yeah, someone brings <laughs> up fight club and you're like, Oh, Bob has bitched it. <laughs> right. Yep. All right. Absolutely. 
here's here's one thing about the support groups that I don't understand here. So in the support groups, um, this is where we uh, this is where we meet a woman who is also going to all of the same support group meetings that the narrator is going to. And her name is Marla Singer, and she becomes a important um, an important character later on in the story. Right. But the narrator is seemingly annoyed by this. Right. But here's my question. Like, but why, though? Right. Because is it because it, it is it because he thought of the idea first? I, I don't understand why he's mad at someone doing the exact same thing that he's doing. Right. Because I don't think he's dealing with everything in the support groups that they are dealing with. Right. And neither is she. Right. 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 Like, yeah, so he calls her he calls her a tourist. Yeah, and I think the reason he's so mad is because he's he believes that everyone at these meetings is real, which they probably are, mm-hmm. right? So like like at the testicular cancer group, everybody in that room has te- testicular cancer, except for him, right? He's the one uh, that's that's faking it basically, right? And he's okay with that. Uh, because you know, like I said, this is he's addicted to it. This is his his emotional outlet and so forth. He's okay with with being the liar in the room because it's like the good outweighs the bad. I think in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Marla shows up, and she she's the living embodiment of his own hypocrisy. Like he has to see. It's like it's like holding up a mirror to your face is what she was right. So him identifying her hypocrisy and how wrong it is for her to be there is really him realizing that he shouldn't be there and he's doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. So he was for her showing that to him, even, even though that probably wasn't her intent, he's pissed off at her because she is basically calling him a liar and a faker and a fraud and so on and so forth. So her mm-hmm. presence disrupts his bliss, if you will. Right. Yeah. And it, it ruins the fact that he like, like, cause it almost distracts him so much that he can't feel the feelings properly. And that's the whole reason he's right. doing it. Yep. Um, yep. yep. Absolutely. And, uh, not only that, but, uh, but Marla is definitely the type of person that like, she seems to be all over the place. Right. Like she leaves half of her clothes at the laundromat and like is selling them to some like the the so, half that she did take. Right? Okay, so what was actually going on there? Those weren't her clothes. She went to the laundromat and stole someone's clothes. <laughs> yeah, see, and, and went to sell those. Yeah, see, and that wasn't even clear to me. Like first time watching, like and then yeah, someone pointed that out to me. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, yeah, she can't hold down a job. She's got some serious, serious problems mm-hmm. and it, she can't hold down a job like she she's got to make money somehow. So she does little scam things like go to the laundromat and steal half a load of somebody's laundry and go sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, it, and it's not really clear too, like, you know, if there's like like there's no at no point doesn't mention how she got to that point. It just it just shows that she's at that point. Right. So we don't really know right. what happens to get to that point, but you know, but yeah, no, it's yeah. She's like all over the place and like, she's just jaywalking through traffic. Like it's nothing like just crossing traffic in the middle of the street when cars are running through like that. Right. And it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. 
Well, she's yeah. I mean, she's she's definitely at a point where I don't think she really cares if she lives or dies. Mm-hmm. Um, is isn't to the point where she necessarily wants to take her own life. Um, but she's definitely considered it before. Well, there's even a scene later in the movie where she she doesn't she does attempt or well, as she says, this is probably more one of those calling out for attention things than an actual attempt, but yeah. Well, yeah. Cause she I, almost I, accidentally I, I overdoses, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't think it was on accident. I think she, I think she overdosed on purpose, oh, okay. but tried to, tried to calibrate it in such a way where she wouldn't actually die. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's kind of how I took it. Oh, okay. Um, that's and by the way, if, by, and by the way, it, uh, anybody that's listening to this, uh, there is help out there if if you have if you ever feel like hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, hang on, I'm gonna actually look this up. I don't know why I don't have this ready, but, but yeah, the, uh, suicide uh, suicide hotline. Yeah, no, then uh, yeah, they do amazing work resource. there. Absolutely, and yeah, absolutely. I, I that's important that you bring that up too. Yeah, because absolutely, because we're we're talking about these sensitive topics and everything, and. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Suicidepreventionlifeline.org is is a good place to go or or 800-273-8255. Yeah, uh, I I I knew the number in my head, hours. but I didn't want to misquote it, so that's why I wasn't saying yeah, it. Exactly, but yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, no, absolutely. Um <clears throat> uh, and that, that's good that you mentioned that. Um <laughs> one thing uh, one thing that was super funny about uh, like there's one particular line that is super hilarious as well like <laughs> they are talking about like like because eventually the narrator and uh, marla are talking and they're arguing over what support groups they go to so that they don't like intersect with each other right and at one point mm-hmm. they said they both say actually i want bowel cancer <laughs> yes and out of context yeah. i'm just like okay then <laughs> yeah 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 and and i think i think uh the, the narrator even said something like um it, you can't have, or what was it? You you can't have both parasites. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. So they had to split up the cancers and the parasites and make sure that they had an an, an equal number. And yeah, <laughs> that was a that was a very funny conversation. Yeah, but it but it's like the fact that like that line in particular. It's like I want bowel <laughs> cancer. <laughs> it's because if you say that, yeah. if you show someone a clip of that, <laughs> just out of context like that, right? Like it's the most random thing ever. And like the fact that nobody even like is like, because they're talking in front of this clerk, by the way, too. And she just could not give a rat's ass about what they're talking either. Even though they're saying like, I want bowel cancer. Like if I were the clerk in that scenario, I'd be like, excuse me, what? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I also think it's, it's it's pretty funny where uh, Marla was attending testicular cancer support groups. Oh yeah. And obviously she's a woman, right? And presumably mm-hmm. without testicles. But so when the narrator points that out, she had the best point possible. She said that everyone at that meeting doesn't have testicles. So who who more fits the bill? I don't remember yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like it's so. one of those things where it's like <laughs> technically you're correct, but 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 
why? <laughs> it's like, yeah. technically, you're yeah. correct, but you're also an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I mean, let's be fair. They're both assholes in this situation. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will say um, the one scene I, I, I alluded to it earlier, the one scene that is 100 percent 90s. And this is like and this is definitely like only the one scene that I think is like dated from this movie. So the narrator orders a coffee table off of the Ikea catalog. That clip is so 90s for a variety of reasons, right? Number one, the phone that he's using, right? It's one of those like super bulky like phones with the antenna on it, like almost like a home phone, Mm -hmm. but it's a cell phone, which, by the way, my dad had a cell phone like that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think that was a cell phone. I think it was just a cordless landline phone. Oh, is was it a cordless one? Okay. Because it, it it looked like it was a cell phone. Because I, I had my dad's cell phone. Like my, my dad's first cell phone that he had looked almost like that. And yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. My first one wasn't far off from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to yeah. mention that. But the fact that he's ordering from a catalog instead of, you know, a r- physical paper catalog. Right. Right. Yeah. As opposed to like basically, you know, as like we do ordering online instead of through a catalog and arguably like, you know, because because everyone talks about the Sears catalog. I mean, ultimately, you know, people would argue that that's why Sears went out of business is because they didn't adapt and they were too late <laughs> right. to online shopping, you know. Yeah. Well, and and um, there there was also a scene toward the beginning of the movie with a phone booth. Oh, right. That very much dates it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's something that's not '90s that is immediately right after that scene. Um, I know I th- this is something that I noticed uh, while I was watching the movie. They they start putting the furniture in the place of like it's an empty apartment and then they show the furniture Mm. like kind of being placed in almost like a virtual world almost. Right. Like I get that. I get that that's visual effects and everything. Right. Or like, you know, trickery with the with the camera where it puts it in the room and stuff like that. Right. Mm. However, if you look at an at those augmented reality apps that are now out there where you can actually like point your camera and you can put objects virtually inside like your physical world. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that scene completely reminded me of that. And I was, and I was just like, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, they were way ahead of the times with that, with that in that movie, if you think about it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I actually used something like that. Um, A couple of years ago, I ordered some new bar stools uh, for my house and, and I placed them, I, th- I think I was using the Amazon app and I was able to place the furniture like in my, like using augmented reality with my cell phone camera, place the object in my house next to my other furniture and whatnot. And, and it was worked freaking perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Was, um, yeah. I didn't even think about that in this, in this scene in this movie, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and it's, and it's one of those things where it's like, the only reason I noticed it was because I was, I related it to technology that's already out there because I'm of course watching it for the first time. But I thought that that was so cool that it's like, Oh wow. Like they were actually ahead of the times with that. If you think about it, which is yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have a question though to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it is, I assumed that the movie was based in New York city. 
and and here's the thing it never was really confirmed where they were like it when it was never really established where they were right mm-hmm yeah, I I I took the city as being Chicago because there is a scene where where the narrator mentions the Sears Tower. I think it was the narrator mentioned the Sears Tower, mm. uh, which is in Chicago. So I okay I took it as being Chicago, but yeah, there's there's not really. I mean, I'm sure if you if you really examine the scenes and whatnot and look at look like different apocrypha like um, like license plates and whatnot, you probably figured out but yeah uh, just based on dialogue and uh like obvious locations or whatever i don't think they're very explicit about where it's at so, but i yeah i assumed it was chicago yeah no and, and yeah that's what's weird is like because it's definitely in a major city right like it's definitely mm-hmm. it, it definitely is in a major city uh but but yeah no that's one thing that it was never really um uh you know it was never really explained right and um and actually i'm looking at uh i'm looking at uh where uh, i'm looking at it here as to where it could be um i mean obviously a lot of it was shot in los angeles right but it reminded me a lot about new york city because of like where everything was like all the buildings were so close together and like that that like especially the laundromat where it was in the movie like it it just seems like it was um like it was based in that um, but, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Yeah. It was never really confirmed and like, you know, maybe it was left that way on purpose, maybe like, because it, it, it probably doesn't even matter to the point of the movie. Right. So I, I actually just Googled this and apparently it's in Wilmington, Delaware. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I would not have guessed Delaware as the yeah, place for not that. at all. Cause what the fuck is in Delaware? <laughs> huh? that's interesting yeah okay uh, yeah so yeah i'm curious like i mean because it, it it is kind of near new york city right but it's not exactly like you know it's not exactly the same yeah. right so i mean so i don't yeah. know i'd be curious to see where they got that because that wide shot of the city right like that absolutely looks like new york city to me right like where with all the big buildings and everything yeah kind of yeah I mean, sort of. Well, here here's a thing about that. The okay. buildings that they blew up in that shot were all well, obviously it was CGI, right? They mm-hmm. they digitally inserted those buildings. The buildings were supposed to be credit card companies, right? But they didn't they didn't um digitally insert the buildings of of actual credit card companies. All of those buildings uh that they inserted into that shot mm-hmm. were Fox owned like studio buildings. Oh, so, so real buildings like in, in Los Angeles and whatnot that they, that they, they put into this scene. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, and you'll appreciate this. One of the buildings that they blew up quote blew up was the, um, what is it? The, the Fox, um, gosh, what is it called? Fox Plaza. Yeah. Which is, which is the, the actual building that was the Nakatomi Plaza building from Die Hard. Oh yeah. Okay. That's so that's a that's a cool little Easter egg. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So call a callback to an earlier cinema invention. Yeah, the very first one, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, no, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I guess it doesn't really matter what the 
location is at the end of the day, right? Because, I mean, it, realistically, it probably could have happened in any city. And Captain Jack points out in the Discord, they were probably trying to keep it as generic as possible. And yeah, I would I would yeah. tend to agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I got the impression, too, that that, that wasn't the only city with, that this was taking place in. Because mm-hmm. you remember he goes he goes around to the different cities where there's other fight clubs or Project Mayhem cells or whatever. Right. And like right. they're all doing the same shit. So I imagine that they set up similar explosions in multiple cities across the US. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another thing to consider too. So in the movie description, it says that the narrator was t- was tired of his office job, right? And 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 like that's why he started Fight Club, right? But yeah. I, it, it seemed to me like it, it wasn't clear to me like it like until Fight Club started becoming a real thing, right? Like, like I assume he was probably complacent with his job, right? Because that's what it seemed like to me, right? Like he was complacent with his job, and like you know, yeah, he had some shortcomings, like he had um he had the insomnia problem, but but his job per se was kind of like a constant like in his life right and so like i feel mm-hmm. like he was more complacent about the job so i don't know why the like some some movie descriptions were describing like the narrator was tired of his boring old office job and that's why he started fight club i personally don't think that's a fair um description of yeah. the movie i don't know what do you think well yeah so i i i think they give they give bland descriptions of the movie like that because it this is definitely one of those movies that has a twist and the story becomes something more than what you would anticipate at the beginning of the movie well well, sure Um, but that but i don't think it but i don't think it's entirely inaccurate though because i think the whole reason that he had his psychotic break and like basically invented tyler and started fight club and project mayhem and all that sort of stuff was basically a uh well, a severe overreaction uh, to his boredom, I guess. Yeah, um, or insomnia, of, or of the, well, yeah. I mean, the the, the mundane, mundaneity, mundaneness, whatever the whatever the the noun is for that. Yeah, but how mundane his life was, and it had no meaning, and it was he he felt like a a drone in the system, you know, like just a just day in day out. Same shit, same shit, same shit. No meaning in my life. Same shit, same shit. You know what I mean? Sure. And he, he was just done with that. And so it's not just boredom, but he, it was a um, just a fundamental need for something more real. Yeah. And mix, you know, mix in his insomnia and everything else that was going on, and he probably had like all sorts of issues. with his mental health sure and all of that led to a psychotic break thus the invent the invention of the tyler uh personality if you will. sure yeah because yeah um, because i assumed that he was like because here's the way that i interpreted it right i assumed that mm-hmm. he was compliant with his job until after the apartment fire and he met tyler durden right that's when i assumed that everything yeah. kind of changed for him right like, well, right. Yeah. So, th- yeah. So at the beginning of the movie, we, you know, we start at the end of the movie, right? Right. <laughs> Where he's, he's got the gun in his mouth. It's right at the end, right? The culmination of Project Mayhem and all that sort of stuff. And then he immediately goes into a flashback scene. And I think the very start of his 
flashback is like the explanation of the in like the invention of of Tyler and mm-hmm. and all of that. So I think that is literally the beginning of of, of the change, right? So right. he had been a just a mundane drone, and then of uh, like right at the beginning of the flashback is when he subconsciously, I guess, decided mm-hmm. that he needed a change and uh, invented the other personality and so on and so forth. I keep saying invented and that's not, that's not necessarily the right. Yeah. Word. It's more like, well, it, it, the personality well, it manifested, and, it, and it's interesting and it's right? interesting too, so. because yeah, cause I want to talk about this later about like what, what, what actually did happen there? Because, because I have a theory about it and I feel like people might have mm-hmm. other theories about this as well. So w- when, when we get to that point, because yeah, I I, I I have some theories that I want to discuss on that, right? But um, okay, yeah. But the office job in particular, right? Like it, it, it's your standard typical office job. I will say I am impressed with how with how long he was able to keep the job even after starting Fight Club, <laughs> you know. And there's this one scene in particular where the boss is about to fire him, right? And the narrator mm-hmm. has this like like illusion or like he's like like he's he starts hallucinating presumably right because Mm. he starts punching himself to the point where when the executives meet him (laughs) in the boss's office like it just looks really bad for him and and it makes the boss look bad and so like he it it looks so bad to the point where he gets to keep his job because of it and you were saying like it almost like he just blackmailed his boss almost you know yeah absolutely and i I think I, I think that's exactly what he was doing there because he he was he was about to be fired. Well, he like technically the boss said you're fired, right? Uh, but then he immediately punches himself in the face and then uh, basically concocts this scenario of his boss beating him up mm-hmm. uh, because you will hear him say things like like why did you do that? Like, you know, really loud, but he's saying it to the boss, right? Like, why mm-hmm. would you do that? And then like he'd punch himself again or throw himself through a table or into a shelf or something like that. Yeah. And a, a couple of times he was like, please stop. And, you know, and then punch himself again. Right. You know, and I, and yeah, I, I guess one interpretation could be that he was hallucinating, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he consciously, like did that as a way to blackmail his boss. Mm. At least that's how I took it. Okay. That's interesting. And, and, and I feel like it's, I feel like it's left to enough interpretation, right? Like, like it's, 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 uh, it's not clear enough to where it's like you, you, you could, there are probably some theories about this. Like it leaves enough room for there to be a bunch of different theories on that. I feel like, yeah. Well, and, and one thing, one thing that you'll notice on repeat viewing is, when he when when the narrator is actually narrating that part and he's talking about um the you know the fight quote fight in the in the boss's office mm-hmm. he says for some reason this fight reminded me of my first fight with tyler mm. which as we find out very soon after that in the movie that's exactly like his first fight with Tyler. Right. Yeah. It's almost kind of like the first time we get some foreshadowing about that. Right. Because, right. Cause I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. that's like the first hardcore time. foreshadowing. Yeah. That's like the there's, first time I mean, we get there's it. some, yeah. there's very subtle foreshadowing throughout the movie, but sure. nothing that really would jump out to most people. 
and pro- probably until that scene when he says, yeah. for some reason, this room and, and it didn't and it wasn't and it wasn't clear to me either the first time watching. Right. But now afterwards, now yeah. now that you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of Tyler Durden, let, let, let's talk about him because he is a prominent character in this movie now. Yes. I am going to refer to Tyler Durden as a separate person just for the sake of like, okay, because my brain can't comprehend that. So Brad Pitt. Yeah. Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. No, so like, yeah. Cause my brain was having a hard time when I figured out that twist, like my, my brain was not computing that, <laughs> you know what I mean? So for the purposes mm-hmm. of our conversation, let's just assume that Tyler Durden is an actual character is an actual person. Right. So Okay. For the mm-hmm. for the purposes of this discussion, right? And so Tyler is a very prominent character in this movie. The narrator meets him on a plane while he's traveling for a business trip, right? And Tyler has a whole suitcase of bars of soap, which is where the bar of soap <laughs> in the movie poster, like, that's where that comes in. Because I have seen the movie poster a number of times, and I saw that mm-hmm. it was inscripted on a bar of soap, and I'm like, what does that have to do? But now after seeing the movie, I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And I, and I imagine when people saw the movie for the first time and saw the movie poster, I have to imagine that that was probably going through their head um, as well when they, when it first came out. Oh, in yeah. 99. Yeah. That's definitely the first appearance of the soap anyway. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I assume that the soap business that, was how Tyler actually made his money and that's how he's able to make a living. Right. Mm, well, <laughs> that's what we're led to believe. Right. Because right. if we, if, if we're going with the, uh, the idea that Tyler is a separate person, that's, we're definitely led to believe that he, he makes his own soap and sells it. Yes. Right. But also the making of the soap is weird, though, because like he initiates the narrator, quote unquote, by like burning his arm. Right. Like, yep. And and it was even like it was weird because like he he, he, like it seemingly was like kind of initiating him. But like they were friends already at that point. Right. So that scene was a little weird to me. Right. Like because like because it's like, yeah, they it, it was like an intense scene or whatever. Right. But it's like other than referring back to it a couple of times, like later on, like. I don't really understand the significance of that realistically, right? So, well, for one thing, Tyler, Tyler as a character is always pushing the narrator uh, to to go further, go beyond, mm-hmm. uh, have a new experience. Um, Tyler is what breaks the narrator out of the his mundane, ordinary life. So, mm-hmm. whenever there's something new, like it's never the narrator's idea to do something new; it's always Tyler. Uh, so that's part of it. Uh, the other part, I think, is the the boring, mundane life that the narrator has. He he didn't have an opportunity to, to feel, mm-hmm. uh, just like we were talking about with the therapy and whatnot. And he was always looking for a way to uh, to like reaffirm that he is in fact alive and he can feel things. And sometimes when people need that that feeling they will choose pain as the, as the vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether that's like, uh, you know, some, uh, especially like 
teenagers sometimes will cut themselves, um, you know, things like that, mm-hmm. or, or just like get into fights at school or, or you know, the, something involving pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what c- kind of what the, one of the points anyway, of the, uh, the lie burn was that, you know, he, he wanted to feel, because as, as we find out later, right. He, he was doing it to himself. Right. So I think it was just more of that him him pushing himself like through the Tyler character, but also uh, making himself feel something, even if it is pain. Right. Also, when it comes to making the soap, it's like the fat that they use for the soap, by the way, it's like he almost <laughs> dropped it, too. I'm just like, oh, because uh, uh. I'm pretty sure he does drop it. Doesn't he drop it at one point? Right. Like there's yeah. The, one, one of the bags gets caught on the barbed wire. On right. The top of the, That's what the it was. Yeah. And it spills. It spills a little bit on him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. no. Oh, oh, no. Also, why this Martha Stewart? Like, come on. She's a saint. Like, why? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, that was completely unnecessary. <laughs> um, so Tyler is allows the narrator to live at his place. Again, just to be clear, you know, I'm doing this for my own brain so I can comprehend this, right? <laughs> so Tyler allows the narrator to live at his place. But it's clear that, like, this place has been abandoned. Right. And like no one checks up on it anymore. It's kind of just like it's this like super run down place. Like everything in there is super gross and it's like super gross as shit in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and, and yeah, no, that's uh, <laughs> that, that, that it's a completely gross and. Ugh, right. And um, and even if it rains. Even if it rains, they have to shut the power off. But the narrator doesn't yes. seem to mind this for some reason. I all I know is that I couldn't stand living there. I don't think anyone else could either. Yeah, well, and I and I think this goes goes back to the idea that he wanted to escape his old life uh, because he, you know, he was ordering from the IKEA catalog. You know, he was kind of addicted to catalog ordering, and he always had to have like the the you know the nicest new piece of furniture, the just nice, um, you know, everything, everything was just super nice and posh and everything. And he, like everything he did after, uh, like, like the first few minutes of the movie was all about getting away from that, that old, that old life that he had. Right. Mm-hmm. So everything was the opposite, the antithesis of what he used to have. Right. So yeah. His apartment was just super nice and really neat and and expensive and everything like that. This new house, the Paper Street house, is the exact 180 opposite of that. And I think that was very deliberate on his part. So the reason that he was able to, quote, tolerate it was because he purposely chose it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it was the opposite. It, it, it wasn't comfortable. That's That's why he chose it, I think. Hey, future Willie here. This has been such a great conversation, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. So we're going to have to continue this conversation with Kent Fallor on the next episode. So stay tuned for part two coming out next week. We still got so much more to cover, including Project Mayhem and the incredible twist with the narrator realizing who he has become. And we debate whether Tyler is a hallucination or if Tyler is an extension of the narrator's personality. We'll talk about that. And the ending scene. Oh, that ending scene. 
All of that coming up next time on the show. I want to thank my guest, Kent Floor for being on the show today. If you want to check out his work, go to RitualMisery.com. Kent and Amos do the Ritual Misery podcast over there, and it is a phenomenal show. So go check it out. And make sure you follow Kent on Twitter, RM underscore Del Noche. That is D-E-L-N-O-C-H-E. Of course, I do a watch party for each of the movies that we review on the show. If you want to watch the movie with myself and fellow listeners, I stream it live over on my Twitch, where you can catch me every Wednesday and Friday night, twitch.tv slash is one But if you can't make it to the watch party, if you've got something going on and you can't make it live, don't worry. If you support the show at patreon.com slash is one you get all the watch parties delivered exclusively to the patrons you get it in your own rss feed and you guys are what's keeping the show going so i thank you so much for be- for supporting the show if you have thoughts about the movie we discussed today you can join the conversation in our discord at discord.cinemavention.com send me an email email at cinemavention.com and visit our website cinemavention.com for all the latest episodes all previous episodes as well show notes, and so much more. There's also a link over there to subscribe in your favorite podcatcher of choice. Music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can check out his work at incompetech.com. And we'll be back next week to discuss part two of Fight Club. We'll be continuing our conversation then. I hope that you'll join us again for that episode. And until then, we'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>